Welcome to Calvary Chapel Lakeside. It's great to have you guys here. Happy Father's Day, by the way. You know, if... <laughs> Father's Day is fun, but just being a father is a lot of fun. Uh, if you do it right, if you love your wife and you love your kids and you take time with them and even the grandkids, it gets even better with that because when they mess up, you just give them back to the parents and it's really good. But, you know, dads, they are the ones who discipline. They're the ones who instruct. They're the ones that help ensure that the kids have a great time growing up. Take them on adventures, going camping, road trips, going to Disneyland, if you think that's fun, and those types of things. And they are also the purveyor of wonderful jokes, you know, dad jokes, kind of like I just swapped out our bed for a trampoline. My wife hit the roof. Or I was wondering why the baseball was getting bigger than it hit me. Or what do you call a man who can't stand? Neil. And what did the drummer call his twin daughters? And a one and a two. <laughs> you know, th- those are all the dad jokes. And there's a ton of them that are out there. And despite the reputation of these jokes, three quarters of kids, 77%, said they smile or laugh when their dad tells them jokes. However, two thirds, 66%, said their dad has embarrassed them in front of their friends by telling cringy puns in the past. And almost all the kids pulled. agreed their dad's sense of humor is one of the best things about him. You know, so how important are dads? They are incredibly important that they are there. Like I said, they love their mother, their wives, and they're able to raise up the children. Now, not all fathers, excuse me, not all men are fathers that are out there. Some men are single. They live a life of singleness or even celibacy out there. But also, not all fathers are men, which means they haven't taken on the responsibility of a wife and children marrying and raising up the children. They're absent. And of course, that has been a problem since the beginning of time, where there have been these men that have gone out and done something like that. But with that, I want to encourage the men who are out here who are fathers or plan to be fathers. If you're doing something good, keep it up. I want to encourage you with this. Bring your kids to church, whether it's here or another church. Make sure they understand what the Word of God is and how joyful you can be while serving Jesus Christ. And there is promise not only for this life, but also for the next life. And these men who take on the responsibility of wives and the children, they're called the head of the household. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church's body for which he is Savior. And also it says it's a good idea not to have many wives. I don't know many men that can handle more than one wife at a time. And, and even if they have two or three or four consecutive wives, you know, it can be difficult, especially if it comes to life insurance and taking care of kids. And it's just a problem. And so Scripture lets us know that a good husband, a good father, will marry one woman at a time, stay married to her, if possible, for the rest of her life and the rest of his life. Also, husbands are supposed to love their wives and not to divorce or separate from them. 
They're not to treat them harshly, according to Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. And by the way, that's put in there. Because guess what the tendency of men is to be? Harsh. If something isn't going right, you know, the men, have, they think a little slower. And because they think a little slower, a woman is thinking about all kinds of aspects of life and children and existence. And the husband's just saying, no, there's only one problem and you're the problem and that's it. And don't talk to me about anything else. And they have a tendency to be harsh. And God says, don't be harsh with them. Listen to your wife as the weaker vessel and don't look down on her. And also the purpose of a father is to disciple his children. The book of Proverbs is filled with sayings. And how we're to raise up our children, we're not to spare the rod of correction because it imparts wisdom to the child. We're to encourage our sons to be rugged, tough, strong, and courageous. And daughters to be feminine and quiet and loving. And some people would say, that is so misogynistic and stereotypical and how dare you promote this patriarchal society, you know. God said it, I love it. And that's why I would give it to you. That's what his word says, how we're supposed to raise up our kids. I love getting like sons together. I just had my, uh, my two grandsons over last weekend, and they'll probably be over again this weekend. And we were roughhousing, and I'm sticking them together and rolling them around the room, and they're 16 years old. No, they're only... Uh, yeah. You know, one's 12, and I think, what's the other one, six? Yeah, six years old, and it's just so fun. And then he comes out in his uh, black Spider-Man outfit, and he's going like that, and I'm going back to him, and just playing with them like that. It, it's such a joy, and we should encourage the little boys to be rough and tumble and strong and courageous, all of those things. And we're also supposed to teach them. The word of God, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Impress them on your children. It's talking about the law, the Lord, the Ten Commandments. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. So we're constantly supposed to be instructing our children. We're supposed to train them also in the way that they would go. We can recognize, we recognize, Patty and I, the personalities of the kids when they were born, right when they were born. I mean, from that very moment, the first one, we go, oh no, what's it? And then the, the second one was just, oh, you ain't a little angel, you know? And the third one, we weren't quite sure, just kind of wild. And she's still kind of wild, you know? And, and my son, he is just so serene, but a little on the edge sometimes. And, and you could tell that when they're very young. And the Lord says, whatever gifts you see in them, Whatever propensities, train them in that. And so as they grow older, they will know how to act and what to do and which way they should go. They will not turn from it when they were older. We are also supposed to provide for our children and for our wives. First Timothy 5 verse 8 says, if, it does, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Which means if you're worse than an unbeliever, what's the case for an unbeliever? They don't go to heaven, they go to hell, and you're being worse than an individual like that if you don't provide for your family. And by the way, that would refer to children that you don't currently have in your marriage that may be somewhere else. That's called child support. The Lord wants us to provide for our own kids. 
Also, we are supposed to control, as fathers, husbands, we're supposed to control our family. Now, normally in the household, the wife is the one that makes the nest, so to speak. But if there's something that's not right or something needs to improve or something needs to be incorporated, the husband's supposed to come along and say, this is what we're doing. And the wife lovingly, submissively gives counsel to the husband. Well, I think that's good or maybe I don't know if that's so good. Let's talk about that. And you talk about it and then you're the one that is responsible to set the control in the household. Also, we're supposed to correct. And if we correct our sons and daughters we will be able to delight in them when they get older. We certainly don't want to leave a child to themselves. And we are to be an influence whenever we can instruct, whenever we can get a bit of wisdom to one of our children, no matter how old, this never ends. You sit them down, you instruct them, say, this is the way of the Lord. This is the thing that the Lord would like you to do. This thing is clear from Scripture, and this is wrong, and this is right. And that's why we need to know what the Word of God says. Now, as far as applying this, we want to keep in mind that our kids, you know, what would you say is the age that a child turns to his parents and at first says no? (laughs) One year old. And and then you have to kind of correct that. But then they start listening and they, they cling to the parents. You know, if they go somewhere and it's okay to have a cling on on your leg as you're walking along and they, they want to be held and they want to be hugged and taken care of. And that's, that's wonderful. But at what age do they start saying, my parents don't know anything? 16, yeah. <laughs> it's about say It's in that teenage years that they, they have become so wise and they look at their parents like, you don't know anything. You're so old. You know, something like that. And then, Lord willing, somewhere in their 20s, they start realizing how smart their parents just got because they have all of this wisdom that is there. And for the parent, this calls for patience. This calls for wisdom. You just got to wade through those times and we are to be like a rock or a stone or a stake that is in the ground, immovable in the waves of the Lord and what he teaches. And we just say, no, this is the way it is. If you're going to do something, guess what? You're going to suffer the consequences if you want to do that. And I'm going to let you fail. And that's one of the hardest things for parents is to let their children fail. You know, when the kids are learning to walk, Do you catch them every time before they fall down? You probably shouldn't. Now, if it's going to be into a chest of drawers or something and they're going down and like that, stop them. You know, you don't want scars all over their head. But if they're just walking on the carpet or on the grass and they're going to fall down, they have to learn how to walk. And so you allow them even maybe to get injured a little bit sometimes. Not where it affects their health and their life, but you know how it goes. They fall down and they whimper and they cry and you pick them up. It's okay. (laughs) And they can hardly breathe sometimes. But you're right there as a wonderful, loving parent. One other word of advice that I would give, especially for young fathers and young mothers. Don't rely very heavily on the wisdom of, of those that are also young mothers and fathers. Rely on those who have done it, who have gone through, whose children have turned out pretty decently. And they have weathered the storms. They have even maybe, that you know of, suffered some difficulties with those kids. Those are the people 
that you want to rely on. So much in our society today is geared towards the 20-something. And if we had to only tap into the wisdom of those who are 40 and 50 and 90, they will be able to tell us great things that they have experienced and show us the proper way. And so that would be my encouragement to the fathers this morning. If all the fathers could stand up, please. We want to recognize you. Now, one other thing, remain standing, please. One other thing I would like you to do, if you are around these fathers, just reach out, put your hand on them, and we're going to pray for them, okay? You can stand up if you want to. We're just going to pray for these fathers. And let's do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are our Father, and you give us direction and wisdom, and you are kind, and you are gracious, and you are merciful, and all of those attributes and characteristics we ask that you would give to all of these men that they would not only be loving to their children and to their wives, but they would also be just and they would be fair and full of mercy, Lord. For you are our Father and that's how you act towards us. So as these men walk the walk and talk the talk, may you build them up in the most holy faith. May you give them wisdom beyond their years. And may you instruct them in your ways and place upon them in their hearts a desire to know you more that they might raise children better and love their wives more. We thank you for them, Lord, and bless them this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I, I think, Steve, there's something available for them afterwards, right? We have a little treat for you men out there. Now... The rest of the service here, we're going to do two things. I'm not going into Matthew today. This is the day that we are going to have some ordinations. And you might say, well, what are ordinations exactly? What's going to take place? We have Steve Raymond. We are going to install him as a deacon in the church. And we also have... We also have Eric Bryant... whom we are going to ordain as a pastor. Now you, now, you may not be aware of how a church is supposed to operate. What are the different offices? You just show up and there's a pastor and there's a worship leader and that's kind of it. And some guy serves all around. And if you need water, he gets you water. And if you fall down, he picks you up. That, and you go, what? So what's with the church? What's going on in the church? How does it operate? How is it supposed to work? Now, there are churches, for instance, the Catholic Church, you have the Pope, and then you have the bishops, and then you have the priests, and then you have some deacons that are there. Their model is a little bit different than ours, and it depends on how you interpret the Scripture. Scripture talks about those who are bishops. It talks about those who are presbyteros. It talks about those who are deacons, presbyters, like the Presbyterian Church. And sometimes they have those different offices, like a bishop is over somebody who would be, quote-unquote, a pastor that's both in the uh, Protestant church and in the Catholic church. But in Scripture, it, it seems to mold two positions together, the elder and the person who is a bishop. Once you start reading it and you get all the Greek words in there, you kind of realize that there's the elders in the church, they could be considered bishops or presbyters in the church and in the history of the church even in titus titus was commanded by paul to go out and appoint elders and it was always used in the plural and then in about the second century it started going to a singular where there would be a quote-unquote pastor it's kind of like james spoke for the group 
in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, it seems like he was the head of the church there. And Timothy was the pastor in the church in Ephesus. And he was not to be looked down upon because of his young age. And, and so there are elders. We just call them elders. And there are deacons in the church. And there are also deaconesses that are in the church. It's talked about. In first Philippians chapter one, verse one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers. And this word is episkopos, where we get Episcopalian and deacons. And so there are these two positions. It doesn't really divide it into elder and episcopos and presbyteros, those types of things. All we know is that there are, are the elders and there are the deacons. And so if scripture says that, well, what about these deacons and deaconesses? In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, it says, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea. That word servant is the word for deacon. And she is or was a deaconess in the church at Rome. And also in First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11, it says in the same way it's talking about deacons, in the same way their wives, and when it uses this phrase in here, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, not temp- or, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. It could be that they are the wives of the deacon, or it could be that they are also deaconesses that they serve, and it gives a description of how they're supposed to be, what their characteristics are supposed to be like inside the church. And so I believe there can be deacons and there can be deaconesses. An example of the first appointment of deacons in the church is in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brother, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So that is the major difference between somebody who is a deacon and somebody who is an elder or a pastor, that type of thing. So the characteristics are a de- of a deacon. A deacon must have a good reputation that when people look at him, both in the church and outside the church, they don't go, that guy's a deacon? Oh, unbelievable. They're, they're not questioning it. They go, oh, yeah, seems like, uh, yeah, that would be a good fit. A deacon must be a man of his word. He doesn't tell you one thing and then not follow through. A deacon must try to live above reproach. You know, he's not going to the horse track and going, yeah, come on, baby, let's run fast. And he's out there and bring me another beer, you know, and he's drinking down and he's carousing and everything else. You don't want a guy like that. It's going to be a problem inside the church. Now, a deacon must also be a generous giver to the church. Those things that you are invested in, for instance, your house, if you live in a house, if you own a house, you're invested in that thing and you're going to protect it. And if somebody does something to it, you're going to get, let's say, a little upset. Or your car, somebody keys your car, that's, that's yours, you know, that type of thing. Well, the church, the church is not mine. If, if I die today, it's still not mine. It doesn't go to my kids. It's Calvary Chapel Lakeside. It's a completely separate entity. And if everyone invests in it, then they have skin in the game, so to speak. 
Somebody who is a disciple will always have skin in the game. If the person's not a disciple, they're not going to give. They're just there for their own personal purposes. And a deacon is supposed to be one who he gives an example of being sacrificial, not only in the way that he gives, but also to the people who are inside the church. A deacon must have a good grip on God's word, not simply a brand new convert. And like, for instance, if a deacon came up to you, he said, you know, when we die and we become angels, it's going to be a great thing. Now, if you didn't catch that one, you probably should go to a men's study or a women's study and find out what it is that I just said. You want to make sure you understand what doctrine is. A deacon must be proven. And by the way, when it comes to deacons and elders and pastors, I am not picking who gets to be one. I'm not going to go through the crowd, the body, and go, You! You're a pastor. You know, they do that in Africa. If somebody claps the loudest, You're the pastor! You are enthusiastic, and you want to make sure you're not doing that. The person who is a deacon, an elder, or a pastor, they are simply already operating in the capacity. All I do is go, whoa, deacon, deaconess, elder. You are elder. You are operating as an elder. I'm just going to recognize that. So I don't choose them. It is the Lord that does that. Neither do the elders in the church choose somebody. They just recognize the gifts that they already have. A deacon should be blameless, where he's just not carousing in sin all the time. He just doesn't need to be able to give, especially the people of the world, an excuse to malign the Word of God or Jesus Christ himself. A deacon must be a one-woman man. That means no bigamy, no polygamy. I know there's some people like over in Utah that think, hey, more wives the merrier. No, God, one woman, one man for life. And also... A deacon must be a good father. He has to be able to control his family well, as I've already covered here. And a deacon must be the spiritual leader of his home. He sets the tone. He sets the direction. He sets the level of love and discipline. He levels those two things out. He maintains balance inside. The responsibilities of the deacon, they're going to be responsible. Any deacon would be responsible for the daily operation of the church. If he came in here and he saw all the rows were off, you wouldn't go to... Elder Eric, Elder Dustin, could you guys straighten out these chairs? Although I could, I would probably go, please, Deacon Steve, could you handle that? And he would crack that whip and, oh, let's go, guys. And let's get this together. And he'd line up all the rows. He'd get everything. That light's out there. Could you get that? Yeah, I can get that light. Oh, look over here, the hospitality ministry. They need this and that and the other thing. Could you? Yeah, I got it. And so they're the ones that are the hands-on. They make sure everyone is happy. If somebody in here is dying of thirst, if they crawl in on their hands and knees, they get them some water, lay them down, fan them a little bit. They're the ones that are supposed to watch over the body. They're kind of like the sheepdogs. They just go through the body and they make sure everything is aligned just right for your comfort and benefit. An elder, on the other hand, is one who gives spiritual instruction, who prays, who sets the tone of the church. Where are we going with ministry? That type of thing. So that's the difference. And then what we're going to do here in just a minute is we're going to lay hands on Steve. Now, in this church, we've had people before lay hands on individuals and drag them out of the church. We're not talking about that kind of laying on of hands. The type of laying on of hands also in the church, it can be for something like healing, 
it can be for giving or receiving a spiritual gift. It can be for a blessing. You're just praying over the individual. Those are all uses for the laying on of hands. But for us this morning, it's going to be for a, it's going to be for a commissioning, an appointing, an authorizing, and a recognition for the work in the ministry. That's what we're doing when we lay the hands on the individual. So there's no mystery. You're not going to see lightning bolts come out of our fingers into the person. and it, Nothing like that. We just simply recognize who they are. So Steve and Luann, could you please come up here? And by the way, Eric, Dustin, could you come up over here, please? Rudy, are you in here? Rudy, could you come up here? Pat, are you in here? Yeah, there we go. I would also ask Vince, but Vince apparently isn't here this morning. If you guys could come up on this side, over here. Now, of course, these two are elders, but they decided they didn't like me, and they're leaving. No, I'm I'm kidding. They have been called on to other ministries and other places, and that's wonderful. Uh, Rudy and Pat and Vince, they have not been installed as elders, but they are experienced. And so I want them to be able to pray for these two as well. Now, Steve, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to say a few things. And as I go through this list that I have here and say these things, this first response is going to be, I do. Now, we're not getting married or anything, but but I'm going to want you to say, I do. Now, Luann, I have to ask you, you are in agreement with your husband taking on this position, correct? Okay, that's good. Get that out of the way. Okay. (laughs) All right. Now, by the way, this is a very serious thing. This is a very holy thing. This is something that doesn't happen every day. And three weeks is our 28th year anniversary, and this is the first time we've installed somebody as a deacon. Now, we've installed elders. It's not that there haven't been people that have occupied that position, but I am just very slow in the laying on of hands and appointing somebody to a position. Very slow. And when it comes to elders, the same thing. And when it comes to pastors, it took me 28 years to get to this point with Eric. It's been a long road for him. You know, so we want to make sure that we are recognizing this for what it is. So, my brother Steve, do you believe that you are are truly called by God and the church to the life and work of ministry in the name of Jesus Christ? And you can say... I do. Okay. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Will you, Steve, make every effort to walk in the way of Jesus Christ as you serve him and his church, reading the Bible continually, steadfastly in prayer, deepening in spiritual disciplines, and taking up your cross daily? to follow Jesus. And you can respond to this one and the next ones by yes, with the Lord's help. Yes, with the Lord's help. Mark chapter 10, verse 43. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. With Jesus as your example, will you, Steve, make every effort to live the life of a servant so that you might be a witness to the body of Christ and to set a standard for those to whom you are called to serve. 
And you may respond with yes, with the help of God. Yes, with the help of God. And the Bible teaches in 1 Timothy 3.9, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. With Scripture as your example, we use Steve, make every effort to study to show yourself approved who correctly handles God's Word and to establish yourself in the doctrines of the Word so that you might be a better minister to Jesus Christ and to His church. Again, you may respond by yes, with God's help. Yes, with God's help. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. And may our God who has given you the will to do these things, give you grace and a strength to perform them. Steve Raymond, Jesus Christ, who has called you, is faithful and will not fail you. So if you gentlemen could get behind, and one, of, one at a time, I'd just go ahead and give a short prayer, because we have a pastor to ordain as well, and we'll go on from there. So if you'd start, Eric, and we'll just go down the line. Father, we just give you Steve and Anne. We place them in your hands. And Lord, we ask that you would unite them together to be able to be as one accord, one spirit, Lord, to be able to worship you and praise you. Father, we ask that you equip them and just empower them with your Holy Spirit to be able to actually know the very work that you call them to do. And Lord, help them to do it for you and just for you alone. And God, to give you glory and praise to be able just to acknowledge who you are. Thank you for all you're doing through them. But Lord, we just give them to you for you to be able to mold them and shape them into the vessels you desire to have. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Lord, I just thank you for Steve, and I just remember when I first came here, just the love that came out of him. I could just see your love working through him, how much of a servant he was, and I know that comes from you only. And I just pray that you continue that work in him and just trust him. And Father, before all these witnesses, we as a church wish to establish Steve in this position. We ask for your blessing upon that. Even when it comes to matters of the church, matters of discipline and direction and all of those things, where two or three are gathered together, you are in agreement with whatever is established. And so, Lord, we establish this here on earth. And may you use him in a tremendous way. May you give him a heart that is after your own heart. And we thank you for him and his faithfulness to you and for his wife, Luann. I pray, Lord, that you would put a hedge of protection around her for the attacks that come sometimes comes through the wife. And we ask, Lord, that you would protect her, watch over her, and bless them both as they continue to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one other thing. We're giving him a certificate here, and he's going to hang that on the I Love Me wall. And, okay? God bless you.
Okay, if you guys would just sit down for a minute, I'm going to call you back up in a, in a second. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole scripture where it talks about elders and what elders are supposed to do. Eric is already an elder. Dustin is an elder. And they're actually signing today their resignation letters. I told them, you have to do this before you guys move away and I never see you again. And, and that means there's going to be open doors for people to come on in and actually start serving. And you know what? You already know if the Lord is leading you in that direction. If you want to be a leader inside the church, he's already placed it on your heart that, you know, I I need to do a little something more. I need to be submissive to Christ, and I think I'm capable. I may not be worthy, but, you know, that lies ahead. So I'm not going to go through a whole dissertation about the requirements of an elder. But when it comes to a pastor, you know, there there are so many things. Eric, Eric has gone through and done everything that I have done. He's done weddings, funerals, baptisms, messages. He has directed the affairs of the church. He has carried out church discipline. I mean, just all of these things that are required. And so I'm stepping back and I'm going, wow, I guess he's kind of like a pastor. And how many years ago did we start talking about this? Two or three years ago? Yeah, I I think ordination maybe. I I go, hmm, okay, let's do it. And I waited and waited and waited. And I think it's good to wait. And Eric is going to be heading back to some place where there are tornadoes and dogs and bicycles and Dorothy. I think she lives back there somewhere. And the Lord is going to use him there. And we are preparing him for that move. Eric, I told him the other day, we went to dinner, him and his wife and my wife. And I told him, you are the gatekeeper. He knows his doctrine. And if you have any question about any doctrine in Scripture, you can ask him, and he will be able to provide you with the answer. And that is a prerequisite for being a pastor. The other things that are necessary is you have to love the people. Now, there have been times where he goes, I don't love them so much. You know, well, everybody goes through that. You know, but you sacrifice for the people. And so wherever he goes, he is going to be fully prepared to assist whatever pastor is there. And if the Lord calls him, he's fully prepared to even start a church after this particular point. And so the Lord started with him way back at La Mesa. When I was there, he still had hair and he was young. And he was in the youth group, and I remember him back there when we were there, and then we went out, and he served there for a while. Then he came over here, and for some reason they stuck, and it was all good. All your kids are born in this church, yes? It's like, all the kids. You know, it's just, wow, all these kids. And they stopped at six, but you wanted eight? Is that right? As many as God would give them. them. (laughs) Yeah. Being fruitful and multiplying, and that's what they've done. So they have been faithful to that. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to get into it here. If you have further questions, by the way, once we hit Timothy and we go through Ephesians, the Lord has provided for the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. These are actual offices in the church. The one that is existing today without question is the pastor teacher. 
And so that is the position that he is in. He is going to be given authority. We are committing him to the Lord. And the Lord is going to use him in whatever way he sees fit. Just like he used both him and Dustin for these last few years that they have been at the church. So, Eric, I'd like you to come up with your wonderful wife. And gentlemen, same positions. If we could have Eric over here and his wife. And the gentleman over here. Okay, so I'm going to ask you the same thing. Are you in agreement with your husband becoming a pastor? Yeah. I do. Okay. That's good. That's good. So my brother Eric... Do you believe that you are truly called by God and the church to the life and work of ministry in the name of Jesus Christ? You can say, I do. I do. And in Galatians 2.20, just like with Steve, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Will you, Eric, make every effort to walk in the way of Jesus Christ, reading the Bible, continue steadfastly in prayer, Deepening in your spiritual disciplines and taking up your cross daily to follow Jesus, you can say, yes, with God's help. Yes, with God's help. Bible also says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. Will you faithfully work, Eric, to fulfill your calling by preaching and teaching the apostles' doctrine to those individuals committed to your care whenever and wherever he may lead you? You may say, yes, with God's help. Yes, with God's help. In 1 Peter 5, 2, it says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Will you, Eric, make every effort to care for the people of God, nourishing, teaching, and encouraging them, giving direction to the life of the church and counseling to troubled, or those who are troubled, declaring God's forgiveness of sin and proclaiming the new life that we find exclusively in Jesus Christ. Again, you may respond by yes, with God's help. Yes, with God's help. Mark ten forty three says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. With Jesus as your example, will you, Eric, make every effort to live a life of a servant so that you might be a witness to the body of Christ and to set a standard for those to whom you are called to minister? And you may respond by, yes, with God's help. help. And the Bible teaches that we are to remember the poor and not to be respecter of persons. Will you, Eric, administer justice, grace, and mercy equally and walk humbly before God and men as you hold out the word of life? You may respond by saying, yes, with God's help. Again, Numbers six twenty four through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May our God, who has given you the will to do these things, give you grace and his strength to perform them. Eric Bryant, Jesus Christ, who called you, is faithful and will not fail you. Would you gentlemen step behind over here? And same thing, if you would lead off in prayer, Dustin. Lord, today we are asking that your Holy Spirit come down upon this family and 
discernment for where you're calling him to, what you would have him do, and in what role you would have him fulfill in the church. I know that he's prepared for it, and he's done the work on his side, and you just ask you to fill him with the Holy Spirit to just give him your power to, to do the will that you would have him do. In Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, we, we give you uh, Eric and Jennifer, Lord, and their family. We place them in your hands, and we ask, Lord, that you would instill upon them not only a desire to continue to follow you, but a love and a hunger and a thirst for the very work that you're calling them to do. Lord, unite them together, heart, mind, and soul, to be able to actually just worship a holy and righteous God that you are. Father, we ask that you will not only watch over and protect them, but Lord, help them to be united in all the things that you desire to be doing. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Lord, we just pray for them that uh, they don't know what they're going to be doing or what have for them, but you do. You already have a plan. You already know what's going to happen. We just pray that you give them a peace about it. Help them to walk one day at a time, waiting on, on your leading. Just fill them with your spirit each and every day. And help them to continue to grow in you. And Father, from my friend and fellow minister of the gospel, I ask, Lord, that you would bless Eric just beyond his wildest dreams. As you have moved him back to the center of the country, I pray that you would establish relationships both for him, his wife, and his children, that those he comes in contact with, I pray that he could be a wonderful influence, that he would shed the light of truth on any error which is there and encourage those who are downtrodden or troubled. And I pray for Jennifer as well for her protection, that you would give her a mind that is stable, a mind that is full of wisdom, a mind that is patient and help her to minister to a husband, for he will surely encounter trials. And we ask, Lord, that you would establish him in such a way that many come to salvation and many disciples are made. We thank you for his life and his witness that he is not only to those in the church, but to outsiders as well. So bless him as he goes forth in a new work. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now this is yours as well. I got a, another certificate for him. Okay, there you go, guys. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.